the number one reason that people did not increase their sales year over year like I did was always, every single time, it was not the competition, it was not the process they had, it was not their sales funnel, it was always personal. It's that time of year again, tax season, dun dun dun. How are you doing on tax season? How's that treating you so far? Well, if you have a lot of receipts and you're organizing things like your income and expenses and creating reports, and you're also trying to keep up to date with the new tax reform this year, there's a lot of deductions that we can take to maximize return, and there's a lot of strategies that we need to make sure we're aware of. Are you optimizing for the new tax laws? Well, our sponsor, Stessa, teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you the ultimate rental property tax guide in I've read it. This is the ultimate rental property tax guide. I'm talking about they've got everything covered from opportunity zones to entity selection to establishing a home office, travel expenses, what type of travel expenses are deductible, real estate strategies, tax strategies, capital improvements versus repairs. I mean, this is the ultimate rental property tax guide. And you can get it for free by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. You have to sign up for an account, but the account is free. So when you sign up for a free Stessa account, you will get this guide. This is worth its weight in gold for sure. Go to stessa.com, S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best taxes. And when you work with Stessa, Stessa is a tool that helps every rental property owner track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate investment. So it's going to save a lot of time during tax season, but then also through the rest of the season as we go and grow our rental portfolio and optimize that. So go to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. Get that ultimate rental property tax guide. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know, Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hi, best of your listeners. Welcome back to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm your host today, Theo Hicks. So today is Sunday, which means that we'll be doing a skill set Sunday where we discuss a specific skill that will help you better your real estate investing business. Today, we will be speaking with Rock Thomas, and the skill we will be discussing is how to get started as a real estate investor. How are you doing today, Rock? Yeah, I'm doing great. Super to be here, Theo. Well, we're glad to have you as well. So if you guys don't recognize Rock, he was actually a guest all the way back in mid-2015. So check out his first interview, which was episode 314, where we discussed how to find a millionaire mentor to guide your career. Before we get started, a little bit about Rock. He is the owner of over six real estate franchises with over 270 realtors selling over $1 billion annually. He's a certified NLP practitioner and the world's number one whole life success expert. So we're definitely going to be talking a little bit about that. He has increased sales and revenue every year for 17 years in a row. He's based in Montreal, Canada, and you can say hi to him at rockthomas.com. So before we discuss today's skill, do you mind telling us a little bit more about your background and what you've been up to since we last spoke, including what it was like to be on a Netflix documentary. Wow. Well, I'll start with kind of where I came from. I'm, I'm a farm boy that grew up in Canada and I learned 
essentially the value of a good work ethic. And most of the people I know that are successful value a modicum of discipline, morning routines that get them to win the day. And I had the advantage of learning that because animals don't care whether it's rainy or the pipe bursts, they expect to be fed and they need to be fed. So you learn to make things happen no matter what. And that served me in my career, becoming a resourceful person, finding a way to utilize what's around you. And I've learned to teach that to people because people aren't taught that. And we live in a soft world where people are always looking for the easy path. So it's been one of the things I've been able to help people, whether it be starting since I last was on the show, I've got your traditional real estate investments, commercial and apartment buildings, but I started to foray into Airbnb through a friend of mine who joined one of my mastermind groups. And he was like, dude, you got to get into this. This is going to grow. This is going to be the next wave. I'm like, "Eh, I don't know. But I traveled so much, I tried renting my house out while I was gone, and I was surprised because I was in a ski location how much I could rent it for, up to $1,000 a night. And in one year, I brought in a revenue while I was away of $168,000. I lived in the house completely free, and then somebody knocked on the door and offered me $250,000 more than I had paid for it. And I sold it within a year. So it was a really, really good experience. And guess what? My mom is watching me and we're all affected by people around us. And around the time I was on your show for the first time, I was looking to flip a property, found a home. She loved it. I bought it for her. She moved out of her senior citizen home into this house, lost 30 pounds, gardening and running around the house, taking care of it is like 10 years younger. She's now 84. And she started airbnb a room. She goes to my son. She goes, Andrew, the Airbnb thing, how does it work? And he's like showing her online and everything. And so she rented a room for $62.50 and bought herself a Honda Accord. She's thrilled. She meets new people. So I just thought for some people that don't know about Airbnb, it's a really good entry point to get started in real estate. It can be fun. It can be cute. It can be interesting. You meet good people. There's also headaches. Don't get me wrong. It's not the easiest thing in the world. I had some people trash my house, but Jiprock gets repaired and you move on. So those are a couple of things I've been up to since we spoke. So for Airbnb, you Airbnb'd your entire house, but your mom just Airbnb's a room in her house, right? Yeah. For her, it's more like a bed and breakfast and she has people actually live with her and she hangs out with them. I don't want to do that. Hmm. But what I've also learned is that you don't have to actually own a property. Me and my partner now teach people how to rent an apartment or a condo or a one or two bedroom or a house if you want, and then to release it. And people often say, yeah, but why would somebody rent you a house and then let you Airbnb it? Wouldn't they be concerned about it? There's actually advantages to it that we can teach the landlord. There's advantages to people versus a long-term lease to somebody that's going to live in it and use all your equipment in the microwave. Because a lot of people that Airbnb, they don't actually cook in your house. They usually do very little. So they don't wear and tear the house the same way a long-term lease would. And then if you don't have the money to buy an apartment or something, you want to step stone your way there, you could rent a place for $1,500, probably rent it out for $100 a night. And by times all said and done from one apartment, let's say in Orlando, Florida, or Phoenix, Arizona, or something like that, you could make $1,000 of passive income or passive-ish in a month. And then you go on and get your second and third and fourth. So we have people in our group that are bringing in $200,000 
just from Airbnb and they don't own any of the places. They furnish them, but they don't own them. Now that's an interesting strategy. I was actually, as we're interviewing right now, the best ever conference 2019 is going on, which is why I'm filling in for Joe. But last year I had a conversation with three people at the table who are talking about that exact strategy where you rent out a home from someone and then you furnish it. And then you, in this case, you just release to someone else. But this is a little bit different where you actually Airbnb it, where I'm sure you make a lot more money. You were mentioning that obviously the first thing that comes to my mind is, as you said, why would an owner lease you their house? So for you to Airbnb it, why don't they just Airbnb it themselves? So what are some of those advantages that you would want to communicate to the owner? Well, the owner wouldn't Airbnb it because they've got a perception of the hassles of it, right? And the uncertainty of it, because there's no guarantee you're going to have vacant nights. Most people come in and they rent on weekends. You've got vacancies during the week. But once you get into it, there's strategies for everything. So you can assess the competition. There's software that will assess the competition and look at the vacancy rates. And then you can set up your system so it automatically reduces the price that you're asking online as you have vacancies come up. So you're four or five days out, nobody's booked your room. The software will automatically drop you from $129 a night down to maybe $109 or $99 so that you become the most interesting product in the market. But for the average person, they don't have access to those tools yet, but there's a whole toolbox that's being created by people that have been doing Airbnb for many years. So we avail ourselves of those practices. How do you convince somebody? Well, if somebody is going to rent, how many people have had bad experiences where people don't take care of their home, where they call up all the time and they're like, the sink is leaking, the toilet's broken, the shower doesn't work properly, and they don't cut the lawn properly. What we tell people is that, we're not going to call you. We have a crew that takes care of everything. And we obviously want the property to be in tip top shape. Otherwise we're not going to be able to make it available to people. And we vet the type of people and we go for five-star ratings and super hosts, et cetera. So in order to do that, we have to make sure that we attract a quality person and we have to make sure that we provide a quality product. So we're actually going to enhance your property and there's little things that are broken. We're not going to call you. And then Depending on the product, you choose a range. You say anything under $150, we'll never call you. Don't worry about it. We'll fix the leaky faucet. We'll fix the toilet. We'll paint a room. We'll do whatever we need. But by the time you get the property back, it'll be better than the way we gave it to you. And people aren't used to hearing that. And for most people that want certainty, they want their $1,500 a month. They don't want to have to worry about it. They don't want any calls. This is music to their ears. And they're like, giddy up. Where do I sign? Mm-hmm. So I was actually... Had a kind of had a, like a debate, kind of it was more of a just a conversation with someone who does short-term rentals, kind of similar to Airbnb. I'm pretty sure she actually used Airbnb and a couple of the other providers, and she was mentioning how you can do the short-term rentals really anywhere, whether you're in an urban area or a rural area. It just kind of just depends. Like for example, she said that she bought a piece of land in a rural area, and she uh, short-term rented it to someone who wanted to just use it to drive their ATVs around town. Yeah. When you teach your Airbnb strategy, how important is the location of the actual property you're renting out? Or does that matter at all? No, it's very important. And it's like anything else, like in real estate, if you're going to buy an apartment building and you guys are the pros at this, there's certain criteria that are going to give you the edge. If you're close to transportation, buses and trains, if you're close to universities, if you're close to hospitals, we all know that the government institutions that that gives you a sense of security because there's always going to be a demand. In Canada, our capital is Ottawa and 
think it's 32 of the last 34 years, the real estate market has gone up and the vacancy rates have remained virtually the same because there is a stability of the employment from the government. Washington, I think, is the same, very similar. So you want to do your homework. My home that I had was in a ski resort town. So what we had was we had, I had a 5,800 square foot home, 2015 construction, 13 foot ceilings, five bedrooms, but we could sleep up to, I think it was 21 people. So we had our basic fee set at 12 people. And then anything above that, we were charging an extra 10 or $20 a person or 25. I can't remember, but we were getting people coming in two or three families that would come in for the weekend. We would charge $600 a night during the week and a thousand dollars a night on the weekend plus $300 cleaning fee. And we ended up making four to $5,000 often per person, which made it really easy versus booking a whole bunch of people at just a hundred dollars a night. So it was niche, but we had a lot of difficulty renting it out from Tuesday to Thursday. So you just have to be willing to look at the numbers. And if you can make your money, you, you calculate making your money mostly on the weekends and anything else is a bonus. So during that time, you could rent it out at a lower cost or you rent it out to friends or you get creative. But if you're in a regular town, in a city, close to work, et cetera, you're going to have a different kind of clientele. But we help people discover that. We have ways to run the analytics and look at the demand and then help them feel secure that when they're going to go into that, they're not going to own a $1,500 lease and not lease it to anybody. Yeah, exactly. What about the team? If someone wants to start from scratch, wants to implement the strategy, what team members do they need to find before they can yeah. go out and rent that first property? That's a great question. And one of the things I teach when I put on my personal development hat is say yes and figure it out later. But you want to have the crucial team is going to be your cleaning team. You need to have access to a team that can repair things so that if a lock breaks or little things go wrong, changing light bulbs, if the cleaning crew can't do that. And then what we do is we set it up so it's almost automatically controlled where you have digital locks on the doors and you can open them from anywhere by your phone and you can change the code every time for a different guest. That way you minimize the picking up of keys and dropping off of things like that. So the technology has really made it super easy to operate from even remotely from out of town. But if you don't have good people on the ground that can open doors if need be or troubleshoot for you, then you're going to run into problems for sure. So if you're a novice, I would start with something where it's in your town and then build from there, build your team, and then you can expand outward. Yeah, it's like when you first start off, unless you're not really handy, you can just do the cleaning each time and cleaning the towels and whatever else you need to do. For the cleaning team, are you just contracting out like someone from like a major cleaning service, like a Wally Maze, or do you kind of find like one person who's kind of independent to clean? In my experience, we've found usually somebody local that is a cleaning service. When you go bigger, like a couple of the people in our group, what they do is they'll go also with a reputable cleaning firm that can do it. When I had my property in Montreal, I was really lucky. I had a great cleaning crew and her husband was a handyman. So when she oh, would nice. go, yeah, when she would go and she would go to the house and then there was things, the shower door was leaning sideways or whatever happened, she would just call her husband. He would come and fix it and, and she'd send me the bill. The biggest thing is developing relationship of trust with people mm -hmm. because 
the cleaning lady would come to me and she found in the house pot, cocaine, cellular phones, different things. And if I didn't trust her, then when people call back and they go, I left my favorite pair of sunglasses and the cleaning lady was to go, well, no, there was none. Those Gucci glasses worth 800 bucks were, sorry, I didn't see them. But my cleaning lady was really good. She brought me all kinds of stuff, including stuff that I don't well, what do you want me to do with that, with that cocaine? You keep it. I don't want that stuff, you know? So um, it's interesting what people leave behind, of course, the typical power cables and stuff. And then if they're out of town, they call you and then can you mail it? Is it worth it? And all that sort of thing. But there's a lot of details to it. And here's what I say to people is don't worry about the details. The details or fall under the category of administration. And administration is always doable. The big thing is, are you willing to invest the time and energy to get educated on learning how to acquire the properties and attract the customers? Once you do that, all the other problems are solvable with talking to people that have already been down that path, if that makes sense. Yeah. So for someone that doesn't have access to the fancy software that can calculate daily what the Airbnb rate would be, What's kind of a good way for someone who's starting out to determine, okay, so I'm, I'm renting this house out from this landlord for 1500 bucks yeah. a month. How do I know how much I should rent it for? The easiest way is you just simply go onto Airbnb like you're going to want to rent a place that's right beside your place and you search based on the location. And you're like, okay, I've got a two bedroom in Wichita, Kansas. So you search all the two bedrooms in Wichita, Kansas for the next several months, put in fictitious dates and you, you look and you start to get a feel just the same as if you were going to buy a house in a city or you want to sell your house, you could actually go on and go, okay, similar homes like mine are currently asking 550000 575 And you look at some of the criteria. One's got a finished basement. One's got a two-car garage versus a one. And you can make some general assessments. So that's the easiest way to get a start. When I did my property in Montreal, I was really novice and I was not willing to, at the time, be overly coached. So I put my house up for rent for 300 and the first guy saw it and he rented it for nine days at 300 only for me to discover that the value of it was between 600 and a thousand. So that not asking for advice, not willing to take the full course for $1,200 that my buddy was teaching and take action cost me say 400 times nine, $2,700. And then you took the course and then is that when you realized you were significantly under yeah. rate? Yeah. And that's why I'm like, okay, I didn't know what I didn't know. So why am I trying to be penny wise and pound foolish? Let me take the course. Let me learn from other people. And that's when I rapidly learned a lot of things and made a lot less mistakes. Okay. So when you're reaching out to property owners to rent their home, do you tell them that you're going to be using it for Airbnb? Yes, we do. And sometimes we tell them that there will be some long-term corporate rentals. And there are sometimes, but Sometimes it's a little bit of stretch of the truth, but sometimes they like to hear that. So we tell them what they want to hear. We know we're going to take good care of it, but sometimes you got to let people relax a little bit because some people, they have a perception of Airbnb. And so we give them that perception as well. I wouldn't say it's deceiving them because we know the quality of how we're going to take care of the property, but sometimes people need to hear what they want to hear based on their filters, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, as a landlord myself, if someone came to me asking to rent my unit, for Airbnb, and that's all they said, I'd kind of be like, oh, I don't know. But if they came in saying, any maintenance issue under 150 bucks, we'll take care of. We've got all the renters, your property loves to be enhanced. Then I'd probably be a little bit more willing to allow that to happen, for sure. Yeah. So it definitely has to do with the way you, you position it to the owner. A hundred percent. 
And it also has to go with your rapport skills and your reputation and what you can present to them as your past history. If you have nothing to show and you're 22 years old and you're coming in and you're trying. So what we do with some people is they'll partner with me to get them started. There you go. Because they don't have the credibility and I wouldn't rent to a 22 year old that's getting started. I would like, forget that. But then they see my old bald head and they're like, okay, sign me up. Yeah, that's a big thing we talk about. That's even more important for apartment syndication when you're raising money from other people. If you're kind of just a 22-year-old just out of college, has no business experience, no real estate experience, why would someone give you money? But if you have that person on your team who can be your mentor, you can leverage their experience, then that'll help you out a little bit. Yeah. Do you want 20 or 50% of a whole lot of business or 100% of nothing? Exactly. One last question on this Airbnb strategy. I know this is going to be kind of a tough question to answer, but what percentage of owners that you reach out to actually end up allowing you to rent their property versus which one just say, nah, I'm not going to let this happen? I don't have the exact number because I don't do the reaching out. I hire somebody to do the door knocking and the soliciting, and I don't have that number, and my team manages them. But it really also depends on who you're approaching. So if you just go wide net and you just knock on every single door, obviously your numbers are going to be worse than looking at people that are a little bit more niche. But it's like anything else. The more you do it, the more you get better at it. And the more you present it in a way that is win-win for everybody, your numbers go up. So I wish I had a number for you, Theo, but I don't have a precise number. I figured that'd be something tough to narrow down. But yeah, just like really anything, if you just reach out to everyone, then obviously you're going to have a lower success rate. But if you're very specific and you know exactly what type of property you want and exactly what type of owners are typically interested in renting to you, then your numbers are going to be a lot higher. Yeah. It's about getting out there and taking action and learning along the way. So say to people, there's no winning and losing, there's winning and learning. So take action. You respond to the feedback that comes to you from the world, take notes, journal on it. And just the way a great, I'm a big fan of Tom Brady and Bill Check. They're constantly evaluating the feedback from their attempts at success and then tweaking and making it better and better. And therefore their success rate goes up. I think that's a big mistake people don't make is they make a mistake, but they don't do the autopsy on it. And they're like, oh, I called 10 people, the Airbnb. Everybody said no. Yeah, but you didn't realize, you didn't look at what your approach was. You didn't know it, really analyze why they were not saying yes when you break that down, which I'm really good at, my team's really good at it. We talked before about 17 years of sales growth in a row is you got to do two things. You got to break down what's happening in the field of your endeavors and look at it so you can strategically make it better. And you have to break down everything that's happening in your own personal. I say there's the three P's that are going to stop you from success. There's the process. Do you have the right process? Do you know the methodologies or the strategies in order to succeed. What are the patterns that are holding you back? The personal pattern of maybe you're not a morning person or you procrastinate or you are an introvert and you don't like talking to new people or maybe you have a pattern of hating rejection. So prospecting is difficult for you. And then the third piece is the personal. And when I evaluated the 270 salespeople I had in my business for 10 years and did the statistics because I'm a bit of a numbers guy, the number one reason that people did not increase their sales year over year like I did was always, every single time, it was not the competition, it was not the process they had, it was not their sales funnel, 
it was not a pattern they had personally of say coming into the office late and working late. They were a night owl. It was always personal. It was always there an inability to handle something going on in their life or the life of the people around them. Their child got addicted to cocaine or they went through a divorce or what have you. During the 17 years that I was in the real estate business with that particular franchise, I got divorced. My father passed away. I had three children. I moved nine times. I broke four bones. I had several things happen, but never did I let that personally because of my work I did with Tony Robbins in understanding how to manage my state, make better decisions, and be a resourceful person. And a resourceful person looks around like MacGyver. Most people are probably too young to know who he is. <laughs> but is you utilize what is. Most people, what do they do? The flight is delayed by two hours and you can just watch the room when they make the announcement. Do it next time you're in the airport and you see an announcement for the flight delay. Just watch the physiology of people in the room. Their shoulders slump, they're ah. I remember six months ago, I had that happen. The flight was delayed by two hours and they were changing the gate. And I literally stood up and threw my hands in the air and said to myself, I didn't say it out loud. I said, I guess I'm going to meet somebody amazing in the next two hours. I wonder who it is. This is so cool. And I got up and I started to walk to the other gate. As I'm walking along, I noticed this guy and I go, I know that guy. I sh- who, who is that? And that's John Asraf. Do you know who John Asraf is? I do not. If I saw a picture, I might though. Yeah, you probably would. He was in a movie came out years ago called The Secret. And he's a guy that teaches online about neurogym and the mental powers and stuff like that. Has written books. Is just well known in the niche of personal development. And I had the intention of meeting somebody. So as soon as I saw him, did I have a hesitation? Should I go up and bother him while he was talking to two other people? No. This was divine intervention. This is what was supposed to happen. I went up to him and I said, John, we were supposed to meet. This is so cool. And he turns to me looking at me kind of like, who the hell are you? And he goes, we were? And I go, yes, my flight was delayed. And I knew I had to meet somebody. And there you are. And he goes, wow, that's cool. And he goes, you... I met you at an event, right? And I go, no. And we just struck a conversation. I had him come on my podcast and I met his two sons and it was super cool because in life, if you intentionally decide to use what's available as the road bends and turns, then you'll optimistically find things that are useful versus pessimistically looking for what could have been or should have been and feeling bad, if that makes sense. That makes sense. That's really solid advice. And I think everything you just said kind of wraps back into kind of what we were talking about with that Airbnb strategy and how that's a really useful way to get started as a real estate investor, especially if you don't have a lot of money and just making sure that you are putting that process in place, evaluating those patterns, and then kind of just making sure you're taking care of your personal life so that you can focus your energies on the strategy or whatever strategy you're doing. That kind of applies to everyone. I like that example of the flight being delayed and how, obviously, most people, when the flights are delayed, they're boiling with anger. You can just feel it in the air. Whereas for you, you yeah. kind of use that as a time to just, oh, this is great. Now I get to meet someone new, and then you have to meet this guy. I do recognize him because I did watch part of The Secret. So I got him up right now. I do recognize this guy from that, yeah. that movie. But the point being, Theo, is that how much time does the average person spend wishing things were different? way too much time in my opinion way too much they wish it wasn't raining they wish the flight 
wasn't delayed. They wish the deal went through. They wish they made a better decision. They wish they bought Google 20 years ago. They wish they bought Facebook 10 years ago. They wish this, they wish that. And I say to people, the word wish to me is almost useless. I say it sometimes like, hey, baby, I wish that I wasn't three days away from you on this business trip and I was spending time with you as a form of demonstrating the feelings of love and connection and loss of not being with that person. But generally, I don't use it at all because it's really saying to the universe, I'm unhappy with what you've provided for me. I think you should be grateful for even your challenges, your problems, the deals that don't go through. Because if you come at it with a perspective of there's a better opportunity, there's a bigger reason why this is happening, then you're actually living more in gratitude. And when you live in gratitude, Oprah says that you'll never attract more to your life if you're not grateful for what you have. And it's not always easy to do in the moment. I get that. It's like, I'm pissed at some things too. I'm not saying I always immediately go, oh yeah, great. You know, my girlfriend broke up with me or the deal, I lost $100,000 and somebody frauded me. I'm not saying I jump for joy, but I'm much quicker, I think, than most people to go through those five steps. I think you probably know them. It's shock, anger, negotiation, sadness, and acceptance. And if you're conscious of those, you can work through them versus a lot of people are stuck. I think we all know somebody who is still bitter about a divorce 10 years ago. They're still pissed off on their partner and they still talk about the story of the partner who screwed them over five years ago. When, <laughs> you know, when are you going to let that go and accept the lesson the universe sent you and live more in peace and harmony and experience what's available to you versus wishing things were different? For the wishing part, I blame Disney movies. You know, that when you wish upon a star. <laughs> it's just it's Disney's fault. <laughs> it is. I agree with you. All right, well, Rock, I, I really appreciate the conversation. I did want to ask you before we got off, you, know, you mentioned Tony Robbins. I could tell that you're listening to a lot of his stuff and probably worked with him as well, just by the way that you, you talk and kind of the words that you use. And I remember, I was telling you beforehand, when that Tony Robbins documentary came out on Netflix, I saw you because you really stood out in the documentary for sure, even though you were in there a couple of times. And when I looked you up on the website, I instantaneously was like, oh yeah, he was in the documentary. So uh, what was that like? Like, were you involved in that in any way or were you just kind of in the background there? Yeah. So I guess I was going through a tough time in the late 1990s. I was a difficult time in my relationship. I was actually doing well in real estate, running my offices and I started to party a bit too much. You know, when you, you're looking for the next high and you're looking for things and so I reached out for a book. I found Tony Robbins' book. And I immediately, just on read, listening to his audio programs, I was able to quit smoking and doing some other recreational stuff. Just by listening to his audio program, I came absolutely nice. blew my mind that you could change your thoughts that way. So I signed up for his event, went to his event, blown away. I signed up for his personal coaching at $100,000 a year. And I did 19 events in 19 months. And Became a trainer for him. I've done 73 events. I'm going to my 74th event in Los Angeles next month. Nice. And I'm a trainer for him now. So yeah, I was at that event in a teaching and facilitation role, supporting him at those events. And I would say that of all the personal development I've done, Theo, Tony's probably reps about 50% of kind of my thought process. Of course, okay. I have other people like Deepak Chopra and, and John Gray and niche people in, in different areas. But if you can't manage your state, then everything else is affected. You can have the best strategy for investing in apartments or what have you, but if you can't get yourself up off the couch or if a relationship thing happens and you're depressed, it's not going to matter. You're not going to apply the information. 
So that's why I'm a big fan of Tony's. Tony has been doing personal development. I don't know if people know this for 41 years. He does an average of about 150 events a year, private and, and public. He's never in 41 years ever canceled an event. That's impressive. It's That's impressive. ridiculous. And when you go to his events, you see he goes 10, 12, 14 hours a day. You're like, how does he do it? So that's what I drink from is his ability to get himself to take massive action. And I give him credit for my ability today. I have 36 streams of income. I have investments in real estate. I have products of other people I promote, all kinds of things that have come from a lot of the skills I've learned from him. So if people haven't been to one of his events, put it on your bucket list, man. Yeah, that's good information to know. The biggest thing I took away from that documentary was it just seemed like he was very regimented. Like everything was scheduled. He knew exactly, like when he woke up, he knew exactly what every minute was going to be like. Not exactly like what was going to happen, but what he was going to do. Like, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to jump into this little square pool thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to bounce on my trampoline. It just seemed like he had tweaked his routine over the years to perfection, which is probably what allows him to kind of be super energized for 14 hours straight. We're all human beings with patterns, right? You don't stop a habit, you replace it with something else. So if people made it a goal to upgrade their patterns, like you got a, a shitty routine in the morning, then just look for a way to make it better. Instead of getting up and moping around for five minutes, get up. I'm 56 years old. The first thing I get up probably four to five days of the week is I get up and immediately drop down and do 57 push-ups in a row. And to <laughs> nice. me, it convinces my brain, who's in charge? Is it my body or is it my mind? And I think it, when you keep on selling yourself on that, when the going gets tough, then you can command and demand that you show up. Most people are like, yeah, I'm going to join this gym and work out. And then three weeks later, they don't. So the next time they go, yeah, I'm going to build this business. I'm going to knock on doors and buy some revenue property. And your brain goes, bullshit. Because the track record sucks. So when I say something to myself, I follow through because... I want to have the references. So the next time I say I'm going to do something, I have the confidence to carry it through. And that's what leadership's all about. So I think there's little tricks for people to get better 1% at a time. But we could talk about this all day long. Yeah, well, fortunately for me, I'm only 28. So I'm going to wake up every morning and do my 28 push-ups. <laughs> yeah. so I, don't th I don't think I could do 57 right now, but I could definitely do 28. So Rock, I really appreciate it. As you said, we could definitely talk about this for hours, but just to kind of summarize what we talked about, the main topic was how to get started as a real estate investor. Add to that, with little money to invest, you can't put 25% down to buy an investment property. So we talked about Airbnb. So we discussed kind of how to position Airbnb without even owning a house. So actually renting a house from an owner. So we talked about how to position that to the owner, what to look for and as it relates to the location, who you need on your team, as well as how to determine what the um, Airbnb rate should be for your rental. And then we also kind of talked about some personal development, habits, routine, success habits, and things like that. Is there anything else that we missed about Airbnb? There's tons of little things, but I think the first thing is get around a bunch of people that are doing it. Like I say, the way to be hugely successful is the three M's. Find a mentor, model them until you've mastered it. Nice. Too many people, I think, try to meddle on their own because they're afraid to admit that, like myself, you, you, I'll figure it out. It can't be that difficult. We don't know what we don't know. Find somebody that knows what they know like you guys teach, work with them, get 50% or 20% of something to learn, and then go out on your own if that's what you want to do. All right, Rock, if best of the listeners want to say hi, where can they reach you at? Or what's the best place to find you? 
Yeah, they can go to rock at rockthomas.com. If they go there, there'll be a little pop-up. They can get my book for free in a PDF or any social media handle. I do some Facebook lives for free and share some information. So they can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and maybe we'll, uh, we'll see them out there in the uh, social media world. There you go. Well, again, really appreciate you coming on the show. Best of your listeners, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Stessa is the essential tool for tracking your rental properties, and it's going to save you a tremendous amount of time during tax season. Stessa organizes all of your rental property financials and automatically creates all the reports you need to file your tax return. And Stessa teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you, best ever listeners, the ultimate rental property tax guide to help you maximize your deductions. Get that copy when you sign up for an account that counts free. So get the copy by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. That's S-T-E-S-S-A dot com forward slash best taxes. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dot com forward slash show.